二度とないように、Let it not ever happen again. 子供のために、For the sake of the children. The attack on Pearl Harbor triggered Roosevelt to issue Executive Order 9066, the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. The effect of this enforced removal goes far beyond the effort to relocate all people of Japanese ancestry. Judy Kusakabe, a local in the Seattle area, goes far beyond the textbook or what you might have learned in a world history class. On KMIH, I'm Chloe Yang, joined by Ms. Kusakabe to share her family's experiences during the Japanese American incarceration here in the Pacific Northwest. For over 15 years, Judy has traveled classroom to classroom sharing firsthand experiences endured at the internment camps. She began by sharing her family story with the students of Mercer Island School District and also recently spoke to a group of fifth graders in Oahu, Hawaii. But before introducing herself to a new group of students, she begins by prefacing that the stories she tells are the stories of family and friends, as she was an infant when relocated to the camp on the Puyallup Fairgrounds. So, I have relatives that go to, I mean, Kamehameha schools. And so I was able to talk to the fifth graders. Hawaii, and especially Oahu, is very connected with World War II and with our experience and, and what we feel good about because they had sent so many soldiers to give us pride because of, of their、um, honor and their, their bravery. On the islands of Hawaii, Many students also have family members who've experienced similar events during the Japanese American incarceration and are able to personally connect with many of Judy's stories. In Hawaii, only about up to 3,000 people were incarcerated, and they were incarcerated on the island, and some were sent to the mainland. To take all the Japanese away would mean that the islands would have difficulty because there's so many Japanese that make up the population. So, a lot of them didn't know anything about it. And because they were fifth graders, it would be experiences of their great grandparents. So, some of them have heard some stories, but they hadn't really heard the stories about the mainland Japanese. Judy began sharing the stories of various families and friends around 20 years ago. And at the time she started, there weren't many people talking about firsthand experiences at the incarceration camps. I have a grandson that's 27 years old now. And he stayed with me while his mother worked、uh, in, in Factoria area. And、uh, he went to school in Kirkland. It must have been junior high because they didn't have middle school. He said, Bacha, my teacher said all the wrong things and I had to correct him. And he said, I went to tell him that and the teacher asked me to ask you to come. I find that the people that give me their, their experiences, they were children. That are around the age of the children that I talk to. It resounds with them because they can relate to losing their, their pets or having to leave all their possessions behind, you know, that type of thing, as that age that they are. What happened was before、um, Pearl Harbor was attacked,、um, there was conflict between America and Japan. So the FBI made a list of people who were prominent in our community. And as soon as Pearl Harbor was attacked, They went to the homes of people on that list. And one of the people that was on this list was my friend's father. They were in bed. She was in bed with her younger sister. There's two more daughters. And then mother and father were sleeping downstairs. And two cars、uh, drew up in front of the house. And out of one were FBI, and out of another were Seattle Police Department officers. They came and banged on their door. 
when the mother opened the door, they came into the house, they searched every room. They were searching for what they might consider to be weapons or something used for spying because that was the first thing they worried about, the Japanese on the mainland being spies for Japan. And then uh, they started upstairs, and the mother screamed at her daughters, hurry up and get dressed, because they were heading upstairs. And she said it in Japanese. The officers and the FBI ran up the stairs with their guns drawn and burst into Cassie's bedroom with her sister, scared her half to death. They went through the closets and the drawers and even the pockets in their dresses. And, of course, they wouldn't find anything in a little girl's room. So they went back downstairs and went into her mother's kitchen, and they went through her potted plants. And with their dirty hands, they went through her flower bin. And so she screamed at them. They didn't find anything, so they took the father away. And he was gone for two and a half years, and he had not done anything wrong. It was just that he was prominent in our community, and he was Japanese. And so she found out that they were taking him down to the King Street Station, So she took her daughters, and they went down to the King Street Station, and they stood behind a gate. And then between the fence and the train was a path. And when they looked down this path, they saw some Japanese men walking toward them, and they looked closer, and they saw their dad. And they yelled, Papa, Papa, where are you going? Why are they taking you away? Don't they know we need you? And he came running over and grabbed their hands between the bars and the gate. And he he was told, Get on the train. And he cried when he got on the train because there was nothing he could do to to comfort his family. And he was taken away for two and a half years. Many of Judy's stories are Seattle-based, but there are a few stories she remembers taking place in Los Angeles, as that's where many of her relatives resided. One of the stories that I tell is about my stepmother's puppy. She had to find a home for him because they could only take what they could carry, and they could not take their pets. She... uh, went next door to ask the neighbor to take care of her puppy, but the lady had big growly dogs, and and Mitzi didn't want to leave Chubby there. That's the name of the puppy. It was Chubby. And so she took her home with her, and uh, somebody called and said, I'll take care of your puppy for you. And so, so she did, and she wrote Mitzi all these notes, like pretending like the stories were from the puppy chubby. So I had a wonderful dinner of chicken last night, and I played in the park with my friends. And uh, many years later, when Mitzi passed away, we were cleaning her house, and in her nightstand, 50 years later, were these letters. So they meant that much to her that she would keep it as close as she could. And there was a a book written by a a Newbery Award-winning author, Kirby Larson, and she uh, wrote a book based on the story of Mitzi and Chubby. And those kind of things really are memorable for children because they can relate to how they would feel if they couldn't take their pets. The initial warning that the Japanese Americans had to be evacuated out of their houses was a mad dash for all. Washington, Oregon, and California and the southern part of Arizona were taken away. So my, my relatives that were in Los Angeles were taken away and, you know, and all the ones in the Seattle area. Everything was done so fast. We were in on the Piala Fairgrounds for several months, and then we were transported to um, Minidoka, Idaho, which is right by Twin Falls. And the train that took us uh, went through towns and cities, and then all of a sudden it was forest, and then it became a dirt field, which was really volcanic ash. It was a volcanic plain, and it was a desert. So the camp was placed right in the middle of a desert. There were 10 camps, 10 or 11 camps. And some of them had a little bit of um, conflict. 
but ours was not so much so. My father said the good part of it was all his friends and relatives were there, and they're, they were close. And so he liked that part of it. But it was hard, because, especially for the first-generation people, because they were used to having their own style of life, and it was taken away. Their jobs were taken away. There were small jobs here and there, but it was very hard for their pride. But they, it can't be helped. And so it was barracks that were just bare wood planks and barbed wire fencing and, and guard towers with, with soldiers in them. The facilities were really bad. Everybody had to eat in a separate building. They had to line up outside, no matter what the weather was like, for all three meals. And so the conditions were very, very poor. But the Japanese philosophy, or the way the Japanese felt, was you don't complain because there's nothing you can do about it. Gaman is the word. It's you endure with pride. So they lived through that. The time probably from up through the end of um, Idaho was till 1945, and we were incarcerated in 1942. That's a long time uh-huh. away from everything that you've mm-hmm. ever known. So I think about my mother, you know, she used to always say, oh, don't ever skimp on food. If you want something, you eat it. That's why I got chubby. You know, because I think she had lost control of feeding her family. The food wasn't Japanese food, mm-hmm. food that we normally ate, and it was bad. I mean, it was really bad. Very few vegetables, and the meat was canned meat, and beef hearts, you know, beef tongue. There was nothing that we were used to eating. So she probably felt that she wasn't doing her duty as a mother. So after you know, we got out of camp, then she was very, very careful that we got to have what we wanted to have. The return back to normal life wasn't at all normal. Many people returned to no home or belongings and had a truly difficult time finding a place in Seattle that had allowed the Japanese to live. Some people were living in churches. They were living in the Japanese language school, and jobs were scarce, and there was still the, the prevailing hostility towards the Japanese. And so, like, my friends arrived. They were sitting in their car, and some people came and shook the car and yelled at them, go back to where you came from. My stepmother, Mitzi, came back, and they lived on a farm in Factoria. They had all their things in the, in the cabin that they lived in, and it was burned down. And my uncle had a farm near SeaTac, and they had everything in their barn, and that was all burned down. So people had to start all over. The attitudes toward the Japanese were very difficult, too, you know, because there was still the hostility, because they were prejudiced against Japanese before the war. And then for Japan to sneak attack, Pearl Harbor, it made it even worse. So it was really difficult. So I remember um, having a lot of racist attitudes that were directed toward me and my friends as we were growing up. The Japanese phrases that Judy shares not only helped push Judy and her family through the hardships, but are also prevalent in her life today. So the gaman, you endure with dignity. So all the people that went to, to the camps, dress nice. They had their hats and they had their overcoats and they had their heels when they went to camp because you go with dignity. So you never bring dishonor to your family or to your country. You have to be very careful of that. You have to be strong and you have to endure difficulties and go beyond. And so um, a lot of times the uh, farmers that were in the beginning of the Japanese coming to America, 
they had farmland that was rocky and trees and everything, but they took all the rocks out and they blasted the trees out and they made good farms. So it's that attitude. You just keep going and uh, you never bring a dishonor to your family and friends and country. I feel that this is my um, contribution to my family and my friends and my community because the story's not been told in a lot of different places, you know. So it's important because there's a thing that says, Nidoto Nayoni, let it not ever happen again, and Kodomo no Tamini, for the sake of the children. So to me, I want them to live in a world that is more kinder and lots more smiles, you know. It's important to me. Judy's message, to proceed forward positively and to do so while carrying yourself with dignity, ultimately connects the greater community, making sure that history doesn't and won't repeat itself again. I'm Chloe Yang, and thank you so much for listening.